Welcome to Daughters of Lorraine, a podcast from your friendly neighborhood Black feminists, exploring the legacies and future of Black theater. We are your hosts, Leticia Ridley and Jordan Ely. On this podcast, we will discuss Black theater history, we'll have interviews with Black theater artists and practitioners, and we'll discuss plays by Black playwrights that have our minds buzzing. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. August Wilson's Jitney premiered at the Allegheny Repertory Theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1982. It was the first play he wrote as a part of what would eventually become the famed Pittsburgh Cycle. The cycle comprised of 10 plays in each decade of the 20th century, featuring narratives about residents of Pittsburgh's Hill District and the structural oppression they contend with every day. All of the plays except one are set in Pittsburgh and serve as a powerful African-American historical project, representing Wilson's influences of what he called the four Bs. The blues, the poet and essayist Jorge Luis Borges, the playwright Amiri Baraka, and the painter Romare Bearden. Despite Wilson's resounding success as a playwright, with several Broadway premieres and one of the few playwrights to have garnered two Pulitzer Prizes for drama, Jitney did not arrive on Broadway until 2017. Jitney's Broadway production garnered critical acclaim and won the 2017 Tony Award for Best Revival. This production, getting ready to embark on a national tour, recently made their first stop at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C., co-produced with Manhattan Theatre Club alongside Eric Falkenstein, Ron Simmons, John Legend and Mike Jackson, and Ken Worth, and directed by American theatre giant Ruben Santiago Hudson, Jitney tells a story of a Jitney station in Pittsburgh and the drivers who have to contend with structural forces that threaten their livelihood. All right, all right. So today's episode is all about our boy, the King of Black Theatre. <laughs> Mr. August Wilson himself. Um, Just as an FYI to our listeners out there, Leticia and I recently spent 10 hours with August Wilson's work. Facts. (laughs) Facts. We definitely did. It was a long 10 hours Mm -hmm. because, frankly, August Wilson was a long-winded writer, mm-hmm. as most of our great black mm-hmm. theater playwrights were. Yes. Lorraine, I'm looking at you. Yep. Shout out to Mama Lorraine. <laughs> Mama Lorraine. Um, very long-winded. But nonetheless, yes, we did see three August mm-hmm. Wilson plays in a week. We <sighs> seen Radio Golf mm-hmm. at Everyman Theater. We seen Fences at Ford's Theater. Mm-hmm. And then we seen Jitney at Arena Stage, which is the focus of the episode today. Yep, yep. And because all the plays that we saw were part of that Tim play cycle, it was really, really interesting um, to see those connections that happened among all of the scripts. Um, it was really, really amazing to see even like other plays that we saw outside of that week of like 
for instance, when we saw like Gem of the Ocean last year versus then seeing Radio Goff and like the clear connections between those scripts and then seeing the first play that Wilson wrote a part of the cycle, which was Jitney for those who may not know. And then the last play that he wrote as a part of that cycle, which was Radio Goff. So to see the sort of growth in Wilson's work, but also the the connections among all the characters was really fascinating for me to see. I definitely agree with that. I think growth is something you definitely see in August Wilson's work. And it really made me appreciate it as a sometime playwright. The ability for, you know, a practitioner to grow in their art a little bit more. Okay, sometimes playwright. <laughs> so so um, before we really get in, into our conversation about the production that we saw of Jitney, I wanted to ask you, had you read the play beforehand? I had not read Jitney before. This was my first time seeing the play. Um, I was familiar with the sort of overarching theme, but I didn't have much details about like what happened or like who the play was uh, centered around. So this is actually my first time encountering the play Jitney ever. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Same here. I was really curious to see sort of where he began because I, I always knew this was the first one that he wrote, but I believe the eighth one in the cycle. So um, I was really curious as to the how how the conception grew, and you definitely see some of those resonances from Jitney in other plays in the cycle. Um, but it was really great to see where it all began. So one of the first things I would say that both of us really noticed was the set. Yes. Of course, because usually when you encounter theater, you're going to the first thing you encounter when you go into the theater is the set before the show starts. You sit down, find your seats. And it's just kind of like you, the rest of the audience members getting settled and like the set. So that's actually your really first introduction to most most theater that you're seeing. So the set was fantastic for folks who are not familiar with the play. It does take place in a jitney shop, which is essentially like an old school version of like a cab service. Um, So the place where folks would call in and say, hey, I need a ride to the airport or hey, I need a ride to the grocery store. They would call this Jitney shop and one of the employees would pick up the call, go get the, the person and take them to their destination. In this particular sort of formation of the Jitney shop, the folks... Uh, the men are using their own cars. And I think that's an important detail to talk about. But they had real cars on on stage, which always boggles my mind. Yeah, um, the set was pretty, pretty incredible. I really enjoyed the work by um, Vivica Gardner, who did the scenic design. Um, and the props were by Jen Sheets. And I just thought it was amazing the things that they did with this set from things such as like you mentioned, those cars that were on stage, like to the very small details that I noticed, like the couch had duct tape on it, right? Like it really, there was some serious dramaturgical like considerations Mm. given to the design of this set, which always makes an amazing set. I agree with that. I think 
the set detail was also just like a nice touch to the play so we could understand the condition of the world before a word was spoken. We could see that this jitney shop was not in like a new area, like new shop it seemed lived in, worn down, paint, just to think about the details of the space, paint, Mm -hmm, yeah, paint falling off the wall, Mm -hmm. like exposed like pipes and things, Mm -hmm. um, stains on the floor. It was just so detailed. And, you know, it really makes you appreciate it as a theater goer. Just the thought that a set designer puts into the play because it really places us as audience members into the world and really allows us to give up that suspension of disbelief. Yeah, absolutely. And it really felt like the the, the set design really complemented the detail that August Wilson puts into his scripts. And so um, I really appreciated that, like you said, it's our first encounter with Jitney, right? Our first encounter with this world is through the set and um, to see, to, so shout out to set designers. <laughs> the work that y'all do is amazing. So that was really, really awesome. And then also another thing that is really important, specifically in the work of August Wilson, is that of the music. So, you know, he had the four Bs and one of them was the blues. And so how directors and, and sound designers like create the soundscape of Wilson's work is super, super, super important. Right, right? I definitely agree with that. And just shout out to Brian Bouchette and his assistant, Stephen D. Great job on the soundscape because I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's particularly hard to design sound for August Wilson's plays just because the way that he writes is so uh, informed by music. Like you said, the B, one of the Bs stand for blues. And you really get that in his language. So what you don't want to do, I think as a sound designer, as someone who has never designed sound in my life, <laughs> is, <laughs> you could though, <laughs> is really thinking about how do you make the sound not repetitive to the language? So it doesn't just seem like a copycat of, um, the rhythm that people, the the rhythm that actors are supposed to speak. And I think there was a very sort of distinct soundscape to the entire show that really sets the mood and the tone for the play throughout. Uh, yeah, I really agree with that because like you said, the dialogue of Wilson is so musical, right? Like there is a specific musicality to the way that he writes the, the dialogue in his plays. So it's really, really, truly important that also the music doesn't bog that down, right? Like that it complements it. It doesn't um, like just lay on top of it and it doesn't take us out of the world that Wilson is creating. And so, like you said, I really thought that the sound accomplished that beautifully, right? Like it set this tone. It, it, it ushered us into the world, the world of the 70s, the very it kind of gave me like black exploitation feel in many ways too of of like like the wordless sort of like what you talking about sucker <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> yeah it, it really gave me a black exploitation feel and it was really truly important i definitely agree with that and just to reiterate something we sort of opened with is that this was a touring production from broadway so we're encountering the director who um 
the director who directed Jitney on Broadway. We're uh, encountering the actors who were a part of the Broadway production. And, you know, I think it's an honor anytime you can see the Broadway girls coming down to like different yeah, places. Totally, totally. And DC is such a, a theater town, but like it was really, yeah, it's incredible to see a, a production that won the Tony Award for Best Revival. Like that's amazing. I agree with that. I think probably my favorite sort of rendition of one of the characters was Fielding by Anthony Chisholm. I think he just really picked up on Fielding's cadences. Fielding, for those of you who have not read the play, is an alcoholic (laughs) um, who used to be a tailor for a musician and sort of is down and out on his luck. He continues to talk about his wife that left him 10 years ago, but he just knows that she she still loves him, even though he hasn't seen her talk to her for like 10 years or so. Um, I just think he brought so much depth to that character that is in part a, you know, funny comic relief character, but is also sort of like this wise older black man that really gives uh, a depth to the play and sort of you know, the majority of the cast is men. So he gives a way to think about sort of like the passing down of knowledge generationally among black men in community. Yeah, yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that. And so something about August Wilson, like we're talking about Chisholm's command of the dialogue. Um, I think that that was something that was pretty consistent with many of the actors in the play. And I really appreciated... Ruben Santiago Hudson's direction and that you could see that he approached this with a level of care for the work. And I've heard this said a lot of different times of August Wilson is, when you see a good August Wilson, it's really good. When you see a bad August Wilson, it can be pretty bad. Um, specifically if you're not in tune with that dialogue and that um, in the way that he writes. And so what I really appreciated about, I would say all of the actors in this production was their attentiveness to um, the rhythms and the patterns and the flows. I mean, August Wilson is a very long-winded playwright, but I felt like this play really moved. And I and I I have to give reverence to the direction and the acting for that movement and that pacing that was so well done. And and it really and I didn't feel completely like weighted. Like I didn't feel like, okay, when is this production gonna be over? I agree with everything you said, and I think it's particularly important because I think like the heart and the core of this play is actually the community among the men and the way that they lean on each other, the way that they get into fights, the way that they talk about life experiences and the past, the way the older men um, in the Jitney uh, shop is looking after young blood who has just come back from the Vietnam War. I think. It is such an important element of the play, and I think that it captures it in language because like that was one of thing one of the things that August Wilson did very, very well. And the language particularly speaks to, I think, the the sort of community that he's trying to sort of build among the men and sort of the familiarity he's trying to sort of build with the men in the Jitney shop. So let's kind of shift a little bit, right? So we have been talking about 
the community and the the language and the dialogue, which are really important elements of Wilson's work. So can we talk about like some themes, some thematic underpinnings of Jitney? You know I love a theme. I, I know you do. So um so one of the sort of like themes that is recurring in the Pittsburgh cycle is that of gentrification. And that is definitely something that I see operating in in Jitney. Specifically, we also see it in radio golf as well. One of the the shows that we see sort of like, so like you said, this idea of gentrification, particularly in Pittsburgh, is something that is consistent in August Wilson's work. But also, I I think it's also important because it shows that gentrification is not something that is new. I think that there is a way that we talk about it today as something that's like just happening or like even like five years ago, this started happening. But I think August Wilson's dramas show us that this has been a consistent conversation in black communities. Oh, absolutely. You're totally right about that. And disenfranchisement is already established from the beginning, right? So we encountered this Jitney station that is like you said, sort of run down, sort of like, I wouldn't say run down. It's more of like, it's peeling away, but it's, it's like, they're still trying to hold something together there. Which again, shout out to the, to the set design, because that I think is a great physical description of the play. Right. Yeah. They're trying to hold on to something the Jitney shop itself, Jitney itself, the community that they have in, in this particular neighborhood that just seems being peeled away. Mm, yeah, totally. And so they're already sort of disenfranchised too because the reason why they need a Jitney station or the reason why it's in use is because taxi cabs won't come to the Hill District. And so that's a really big deal because folks need to get around, right? And so... They've provided this service to Black people that they're not able to get anywhere else. So already we're ushered into this world that is that needs, right? That is that needs this particular service. Yep. And I think to sort of go back to sort of our conversation on gentrification is that it's interesting that this is a neighborhood where taxi services won't go into the Hill District. Um, of Pittsburgh to sort of service the folks who live there, but also the sort of double-edged sword of them then wanting to come into the Hill District and develop it and push these same people out. And I think what we see is this sort of community organizing, you know, not in the sense of like, you know, we, we're we going to protest, so taxi cabs are going to service us, but like this really sort of wielding sort of community resources and like, black owned business, you know, and like servicing the community and the needs of the community um, in a way that is productive. And August Wilson depicts it throughout the play as like, this is a sort of staple of the neighborhood. Yeah. And sort of how like, it's not particularly, um, you know, stated that this neighborhood may go on to be developed and all these things. But from 
us seeing radio golf, right? We know that that's what's happening. But this is the precursor to that because it's being condemned. They're being evicted. They're trying to close down the business, like you said, and 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 they're sort of trying to foreclose any sort of um, progress that they can make. Um, and so I think that what Wilson is doing is thinking about how black people, how, how gentrification is not just, oh, a developer wants to come in and take this from me, right? Like it starts with being condemned or being evicted or the rent gets too high or, you know, all these sort of things compound. And then the, the sort of last thing happens, which is like, nope, now we're going to knock this down. It's going to become a holiday inn (laughs) or, or worse, a Whole Foods. (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 definitely and i i think there's a moment in the play where wilson particularly talks about i think it it's booster who talks about they shut down like the the local chicken shack like five years ago and they haven't done anything with it it's just sitting empty condemned and they're trying to push us out for whatever reason right like you said there's no necessary discussion of them sort of building the town not the town, the neighborhood up again. But I think that is important to think about gentrification because I think a lot of folks think gentrification is something that just sort of happens, but it's oftentimes levels to it. It starts with, like you said, the condemning of spaces. And then 10 years later is when they go back in it when prices are super, super low and tries try to quote, you don't see my air quotes, revitalize the neighborhood. But when they're revitalizing the neighborhood, the folks that are mostly harmed from this are black and brown folks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, since we're kind of talking about the the plays and the cycle and, and how these fit into it, I really encourage you all, if you if you haven't, if we have listeners who haven't encountered radio golf, to read that play. Because I really I really feel that Wilson sets up so much that is then answered by radio golf, right? And continue that conversation. I would reiterate that suggestion by Jordan because I think it's easy, particularly with radio golf, it also speaks to one of the last plays he wrote, Gem of the Ocean, and it speaks directly to it because some of the characters' uh, children are in the play or there's like sort of generational nod to characters that we are familiar, familiar with in Wilson's cycle. But I think it would be great, you know, scholars, academics, people who want to write about things, I think you're absolutely right that there is something to talk about, and perhaps someone already does, about how Jitney speaks to issues of gentrification that speaks directly to Radio Golf, which was August Wilson's last play that he wrote before he passed, if I remember correctly. Yep, yep, you're you're completely correct about that. Yeah, so... So go ahead and and read that and please, please talk to us about it because we love to talk (laughs) about black theater. Yes, black theater. Well, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you also do love black theater. So welcome to the club. Maybe we should get t-shirts that say we love black theater. I'm down. I'm down. All right. So kind of let's let's shift a bit too. So we talked about some gentrification and displacement and, and disenfranchisement um, and how that disproportionately affects black and brown people and how Wilson dramatizes that very real thing that <laughs> is occurring all over our country. But specifically in the area that we live, right? Washington, D.C., I believe is one of the fastest gentrified places in in the nation, which is is absolutely just 
horrific, <laughs> but it, it makes these plays have, have relevance that really speaks to the location. So I just wanted to give a shout out to that. Yes. I reiterate the shout out and also just thinking about sort of my own sort of personal experiences with gentrification. I think I actually didn't really understand the magnitude of it until I moved to DC because for folks who don't know, I'm from California, Southern California and sort of the neighborhood that I grew up would probably be seen as places, a place that needed to be condemned so it can be revitalized. And now when I go home for like holidays and such, these spaces are so much different than I remember them. Um, They have the Whole Foods, they have the, you know, yoga studio, they have the hipster coffee shop. And it's so interesting to sort of see how the neighbor neighborhood has shifted and the language that also has changed around a place that was described as ghetto as dilapidated that now it's very much like, Oh, this is like the new hip urban spot to hang out with urban without all the black and Brown folks. Yep. And even in DC before I moved here and for listeners, I'm from Atlanta, um, which also has horrific gentrification going on down there. But when I, before I moved to DC, it was like, what do we, what do we know about DC? Chocolate city, chocolate city. Right. And so I was very excited to move here. Cause I'm like, I'm about to move, you know, where a lot of black and Brown people are. And, um, once I got here and just saw how, just how like much gentrification has affected the city. Um, and then to see plays like Jitney and radio golf, who stage those anxieties that plague black and brown people. Um, It just made the play so much more salient for me. And it made theater have such a greater relevance than just, you know, watch sitting and watching a play, but it really made me consider the geographic space that even we were occupying and and what that means for um, the black and brown residents of the, of DC. That's why I tell people, Read drama. A lot of these issues that we're sort of seeing return or reoccur or come up out of hiding is actually, you could track a lot of these issues in drama because a lot of particularly Black theater playwrights are talking, Black theater playwrights, what did I say? That's why I tell people to go to drama. Drama has a way of connecting so many of the issues that we know to be true via our own lived experience, and particularly Black playwrights' ways of in dealing and interrogating their real-life experiences or things that they see happening around them, just gives us a different source of knowledge that is powerful besides thinking you always have to go to uh, non-fiction sources of like truth. And I think that's really the power of theater at large, the ability to sort of make these issues resonate in new ways um, and also sort of track a genealogy of them. So we've talked about some of some things that we saw and also like connecting them to the um, spaces that these theaters that we are sitting in occupy, which I think is super, super important. So why don't we talk about our favorite thing to discuss? Gender. Gender. <laughs> We're fools. <laughs> okay. Um, we, we hey, they can't say we didn't warn them because 
we did say this is a podcast from your neighborhood black feminist. Amen to that, sister. All right. So um, something I really want to touch on is, is how gender is working in this play. So um, let's start with the only woman in the play who is the character of Rena, who was played quite skillfully by um, Nija Okoro. And yeah, so I think she's only on stage twice throughout the whole play, entire play. And I think it runs about two hours and 15 minutes. And I would say she's probably on stage for 10, 15 minutes or so, give or take. Um, but it's just interesting, you know, that the one black woman in the play is one tied to a man in the play. That there's no women who also run jitneys out of the jitneys shop. And, you know, I don't know if that's the gender politics of the 70s or so, but I think black women in particular have different, a different relationship to employment and working because black women have most of the time always had to, had to have a job to help sort of financially support the family. And I don't know if we would say the Jitney shop or the folks who uh, runs it is his name. Becker Becker is, is the lead. Yes. He's the owner of the Jitney station. He's the owner of the Jitney station. He seems like middle-class ish and like something that he had, he has aspired, aspired to. And particularly with his son where he talks about, I've taken all this sort of like racial, sort of these racial attacks from, you know, white folks, because I wanted to ascend to a different class position so that you could have something different and that you could have something that I didn't have. But sorry, I'm getting on a tangent. Back to our woman's name. Yes. So back to Rena. Rena is expertly played, like you said. Gender wise, she doesn't get much to do in the play for me because her whole entire arc is attached to uh, Youngblood, who is her boyfriend. Yeah. And um, I did find myself feeling really dissatisfied with her narrative because it was sort of reinforcing this idea that like the relationality between black women and black men is that of black women mistrusting black men or black women trying to emasculate black men. And I um, I felt in many ways like that the, the narrative between Rena and Youngblood was recapitulating that narrative. Because for those who are not familiar with the plot of Jitney, that, that particular arc is, is fostered around um, one of the characters of Turnbo, who in this production was played very well by Ray Anthony Thomas, has been hearing whisperings of Youngblood running around in the streets with, with Rena's sister. Yeah, and I think he... He, he sees them. He sees mm-hmm. them. He sees them in the car sn- appearing to like sort of sneak around. Yes. So Turnbo, when, when Rena comes to the, sh- to the Jenny station one day, um, Turnbo tells her about this and is like, why, you, why do you let him treat you like that? You need your real man in your life. And she's like, I'm good. But she does confront... Youngblood about his activities with her sister and is not um, and is very upset with him about that. Um, And we sort of leave that scene with her being um, like 
being very disappointed to find out this news and really sort of laying into him and Youngblood denying him and us as audience members very much like, okay, Rena's in the right and Youngblood's in the wrong. Turns out Youngblood was only with Rena's sister because he bought a house (laughs) and wanted to get his sister's approval so that he can surprise Rena. And and something I did um, neglect to mention is Youngblood actually took the grocery money that they had, you know, put aside for for food for that, I believe that like that week or those two weeks. And she asked him about it. Rena asked Youngblood, like, where's the money? Where's the money? Where's the money? And Youngblood was like, I had a debt I had to pay. I had a debt I had to pay, very sort of evading the question, only to find out later on that he was using that money to finish off the payments of the house that he was buying for them. So them being Rena and um, their their son. So all of this is, it's not a bad narrative. It's just that it sort of reinscribes this idea that um, like, always trying to keep a good black man down kind of narrative and that there is um, a lack of trust that black women inherently have of, when they have like these sort of romantic relationships with black men. And so um, I was, I was kind of disappointed, but I don't know, not surprised. What about you? What do you think? I, I agree with everything that you said. I think we would not be in the minority, particularly among black feminists who also do work around theater that says that August Wilson at large has had an issue or not an issue, or I guess more like a difficulty with his Black woman characters. He's actually gotten a lot of critique about the way that he treats Black women on stage, especially in the relationship with Black men. So oftentimes you'll see in his plays, Black women only a part of the play because of their sort of status as wife or girlfriend. And that also being attached to their storyline and them not having much individuality outside of uh, their partnership with a black man, which I think is a, is a valid critique of seeing many of August Wilson's plays. I think there is a moment where we see him really contend with some of his sort of uh, gender issues in his work, uh, which I appreciate to see the growth, but I, but I think in this particular play in Jitney, this definitely suffers from a gender problem, like you said, and that Rena is not given much to do. She her only identities is mother and and girlfriend. And I was really hoping for, or if you know, August Wilson could have edited this play. I I would have liked to see a little bit more depth to her character. But you know. All that being said, August Wilson can write. Rena had some very poignant things to say that I think really hit hit the production really well. In particular, this is just like a sidebar. We when we seen it, we had an audience member who was wearing um, an assistant live uh, listening device, and she would respond to everything in the play. And I mean, ooh. Ah, ah, absolutely. And it it was really great because 
something as theater and performance study scholars that we're interested in is audience, right? Like audience reception. And so in Black theater or in in Black, like, musical traditions or Black theater traditions, Black call performance. Call and response. Call and response, right? Call and response is a big thing in Black performance at large, whether it's theater, film, dance, <laughs> um, music, anything, right? And so I really enjoyed that our audience, the audience that we saw the play with was a lot of Black folks in the audience, which I thought was really great, which you know, speaks to the work that is being done at Arena to to reach out to Black folks. But like, I really enjoyed seeing the production with with folks of color because we are able to, there's so many different nuances that Wilson is able to give that really sort of resonate with Black people. And so it's really awesome to, to, to be an audience that's in on the joke, right? Like be with an audience that understands the importance of what Wilson is saying, but also like the humor, like the the roasting, like all these sort of things. Like August Wilson is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And again, folks, I just want you to bask in the joy that I felt having this woman, this black woman respond to what she was seeing on stage. I think it's such a missed opportunity, particularly when we go see theater often, that folks are very much like, oh, we sit here and be quiet. And if we something's funny, we can laugh. But like like you said, this tradition of call and response in Black culture is just, I don't know, it does something to me affectively in the theater. It just makes me enjoy it more. Like, let me give you some tidbits of what she said. Before we go to intermission, there's this scene with Becker and his son who just recently got out of prison for serving a sentence for murdering someone. And literally the lights are going down. She says, damn, August Wilson. Perfect timing. I'm telling you, I have never laughed so hard in the theater. And I think it's also just an appreciation, like a verbal appreciation of the work that August Wilson also does. There's a moment where Youngblood and Reyna are like getting a little, you know, close to each other. And she's like, ooh, all sucky sucky now. It was just, so yeah, I I think it was a, just a really enjoyable experience. I love going to theater. I love going to theater with people that are like really engaged with theater. So I really appreciate it seeing Jitney at Arena, seeing the Broadway cast the Broadway director direction of Jitney. And it was just a good time at the theater. We seen it with two of our really good friends and they have, they were not familiar with the, with the play before they're, they're not necessarily theater people in the sense that they are getting their PhD in theater. Um, But I really enjoyed it. How do you feel about sort of overall the production of uh, Jitney and the play at large? I was incredibly moved by the by um some moments in the production specifically the moment at the end of act 1 where um that whole scene <laughs> between Becker and his son that has been released from prison is just like it's incredibly and skillfully written by Wilson and then i was incredibly moved when we find out that Becker has passed on and that direction there i just want to highlight this one moment before we before we close out is when once Becker or yeah, once Becker's death is revealed 
and his son get like he he punches the the person who told him and then like the lights come down on him as he like sort of cowers down and all of the men on stage sort of like reach out and touch him and it's like that sort of classic Wilsonian <laughs> moment of like spirituality and healing and transformation that um that will sometimes happen in in a lot of the plays in the cycle um this sort of recurrence of of um spirituality and so i really appreciated that moment of camaraderie among the um in the among the men of that moment to um really sort of lay a laying of hands on this man who was mourning his father that he had a really, really, really complicated relationship with. Um, so that that really stuck out to me. It was definitely a beautiful moment of the play. And I think this is to the direction that it didn't seem forced. It seemed earned. And we don't, that's the only moment like that. And I appreciate it because I think it really makes you, it really focuses on the moment in a different way because the lighting's different. Um, there's even this sort of choreography to the blocking that, that, uh, we don't get in any other moment of the play. So I really appreciate this big moment being directed in such a way. So we're almost time, but before we close it out and give our book recommendations, I'm just curious, Jordan, how many August Wilson plays have you seen? I, I've seen four. I've seen four August Wilson plays. What about you? I have seen five. I've seen Jitney now. I've seen Radio Golf. I've seen Gem of the Ocean. I've seen Two Trains Running. Two Trains Running was actually my first encounter with Black theater in high school at the Old Globe Theater. And I didn't know that I would get a PhD in theater and performance studies, but it really changed my life. And then my last one was Fences. Yeah, I just think that that speaks to the power of August Wilson and why he continues to be a, a staple in black theater and really American theater. <laughs> Absolutely. What is your favorite August Wilson play? Can I ask that? Is that unfair? Uh, no, it's not unfair. Just a little bit. I'm just kidding. Um, my favorite August Wilson play, it's really hard, but I definitely have to say The Piano Lesson, which was his other Pulitzer besides um, Fences. Um, I just think that um, we did talk about like the way that Wilson writes women, but I think that in that play, Bernice is such a a well-written and and really fun character for someone to play. What about you? What's your fave? My fave is Jim of the Ocean, one of the last plays that he he, uh, wrote before before his death. And what I love about that play is just one the women I think are written like similar to Bernice is just written in a way that has more depth to it, which I appreciate. But also I just love the magic of the world and like this notion of legacy, them visiting the city of bones, which is sort of harpening back to sort of transatlantic slavery and thinking about ancestors. It that that has to be my favorite, favorite August Wilson play. Yeah. Totally. Like, I agree. I I think it's one of my favorites. So for those of you who are interested in reading some scholarship on August Wilson, we got you covered right here on Daughters of Lorraine. So for one, I recommend you read um, the work of Dr. Sandra Shannon. The GOAT. 
who is the leading scholar on August Wilson. Um, In particular, I recommend her books, The Dramatic Vision of August Wilson, and then her other book, which is MLA Approaches to Teaching the Plays of August Wilson, which um, is an anthology that she edited, which one of the articles that I will recommend is by Dr. Phaedra Chattard Carpenter, which is called Teaching the Cycle, Understanding August Wilson's Fractal Dramaturgy. And just as a, as a side note, <laughs> um, shout out to Phaedra Chattard Carpenter. She <laughs> is our advisor and you'll probably hear her name a lot because we admire her work, admire her work mm-hmm. and just admire her as a person. So Phaedra, we know you're listening and we just want to tell you that we appreciate you. <laughs> but also um, another article that I personally really, really love on August Wilson is Harry J. Elam's article called August Wilson, Doubling Madness and Modern African-American Drama. I highly, highly recommend it. He talks about racial madness in the work of August Wilson. And then once you um, encountered those articles, Leticia and I just encourage you to read the Pittsburgh cycle. Um, Those plays are just incredible. Um, If you are a scholar, a practitioner, or just an all-around lover of Black theater, you can't throw a stone without hitting August Wilson. So so please check out um, his work. It, it's There's a lot of it, and he is absolutely fantastic. Yes. Please know that these articles and books that we're recommending are really only scratching the surface of scholarship on August Wilson. You can go into Google Scholar and you'll probably see tons and tons of articles or chapters covering the work of August Wilson. And I think that just reflects the impact that he has had on folks and the impact that his drama has had on scholarship and theater at large. Also, I just want to sort of shout out if you're interested in doing work on Wilson or being in community with folks who are doing work on him, check out the August Wilson Society, which is uh, presided by our friend, and colleague, Dr. Khalid Yaya Long, um, reach out to the folks of the August Wilson Society. I think they have a conference or symposium or something coming up. Check out their work, support them, because they're really invested in keeping the legacy of August Wilson alive. All right, so that wraps up today's episode of, um, we really, really hope that you enjoyed our conversation um, about Jitney by August Wilson, but also about sort of August Wilson's work at large. And we hope you'll you'll read some of those articles and, and, and talk to us about it. Yes, and we just also want to extend some gratitude to HowlRound Theater Commons for sponsoring Daughters of Lorraine and check out some of their other content if you haven't before. That concludes our episode. This has been Daughters of Lorraine. We're your hosts, Leticia Ridley and Jordan Ely. Next week, we'll be discussing the history of Black playwrights representing slavery on stage. You won't want to miss this.